Welcome back, everyone, to the P2P Soapbox. I'm your host and P2P BFF, Marcy Maxwell. I am thrilled to have you here for today's episode because we'll be diving into one of my personal soapbox issues, uh, one of many, if I'm being honest. In the not-too-distant past, peer-to-peer fundraisers relied on traditional methods like letter writing, phone calls, and pledge envelopes to raise funds for their favorite causes. But in today's digital age, we have a whole new world of possibilities at our fingertips. Email, social media, and mobile apps, they've all made fundraising easier than ever before, right? But here's the catch. The latest technology alone isn't enough to guarantee success in peer-to-peer fundraising. What truly makes a difference is having a fantastic staff partner who can guide fundraisers toward their goals and help them make a real impact on the causes they're passionate about. But the shift to a remote working environment and turnover in many frontline fundraiser roles, the importance of our staff's role as fundraising coaches has been lost. I am absolutely delighted to introduce my friend and our guest for today, Deanna Van Leer. Deanna is the National Kidney Foundation's Kidney Walk National Director. But before we jump into our conversation, let me give you a glimpse into Deanna's background and the incredible work her organization does. The Kidney Walk, hosted in nearly 70 communities across the country, stands as the nation's largest walk dedicated to fighting kidney disease and is the signature community fundraiser for the National Kidney Foundation. The National Kidney Foundation is revolutionizing the fight to save lives by eliminating preventable kidney disease accelerating the innovation for the dignity of that patient experience and dismantling structural inequities in kidney care, dialysis, and transplantation. Now let's talk about Deanna. Just like many of us in the peer-to-peer world, Deanna started her journey in a boots-on-the-ground role, managing walks in the D.C. area with the March of Dimes. She eventually joined the National Kidney Foundation team 11 years ago, and she's been making a huge impact ever since. During our conversation, we'll be sharing stories about how peer-to-peer fundraising looked back in the early 2000s when we first started. Yes, it was very different. We'll explore the changes that have taken place over the years, what's remained the same, and the crucial need for us as professional fundraisers to adapt and evolve. Deanna will also enlighten us on how the National Kidney Foundation is retraining its local field staff and volunteers to excel in fundraising and reframing the role of their fundraising coaches. And we'll have an in-depth discussion on the importance of stepping away from the crutch of digital communication and rediscovering the power of meaningful in-person conversations. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Here's my conversation with the National Kidney Foundation's Deanna Van Leer. Hi, Deanna. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Marcy. Thanks so much for having me. We are so excited to have you on. I think one of the things I love about this podcast is I kind of just get to talk to my friends, which is really fun. And you and I've gotten to know each other through the years. So I'm so excited to have you join us. 
Well, I'm excited to be here. Yes, we've definitely um, gotten to know each other and have had lots of great conversations. So it's exciting to do this now on a podcast where other people can listen to our inner thoughts. Oh, goodness. So (laughs) I know I gave everybody just a brief snapshot of your bio, but can you tell us just a little bit about your kind of personal professional journey that led you to your role now as the Kidney Walk National Director at the National Kidney Foundation? Yeah, absolutely. So I was thinking about this um, a little bit leading into this conversation, and it has been such a wild journey um, because I've been doing fundraising most of my life, which we're not going to go there and talk about our ages, but it's been a long time. Um, So I really, I went back and I thought about it. I started out as a Girl Scout, which I think is the most basic form of fundraising that, you know, you kind of think back in hindsight about it. Um, And then I got to go on this really cool trip when I was in sixth grade to be a student ambassador, but you know, it was kind of expensive. And so we had to figure out how to help pay some of the bill. And so there were different fundraisers involved. Um, and, you know, had to go and, and ask people if they wanted to buy t-shirts. So that was different. Um, and then when I went to college, I went to Penn State. So anybody out there who has heard about Penn State has probably heard about the dance marathon or THON as we affectionately call it. Uh, So that was a big one um, where it was, you know, not only the fundraising, but also I would say the logistic side of the event planning. Um, And then, you know, I started my career, my actual career with the March of Dimes down in DC after I graduated from there. So it's been a ride for sure. That is so crazy when I think about it. Yeah, I was a Girl Scout too. And then I 100% did the St. Jude Mathathon when I was in elementary school and, you know, did fundraising in college as well before I got into this. And so, yeah, you're right. Can we just add that to our resumes, right? We can talk about <laughs> really how long that w- that's why when I say I've been doing this for 20 years, people still think I'm just, you know, in my late 20s. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it makes us experts at this point, right? We have well exactly, over 10,000 hours. Exactly. I love it. So in addition to our similar personal journeys, we had really similar starts to our fundraising careers. So I know I've shared that I started, you know, in a local market, boots on the ground, doing a variety of fundraising events and really events that looking back were definitely peer to peer fundraising, but we didn't call it that just quite yet. Mm -hmm. So, and I think back on how much peer to peer fundraising has changed and how it is, it's really the exact same, even with all the fancy new technology. So, can you talk a little bit about what did peer to peer look like when you kind of got started? And like, how do you think it's different? How do you think it's the same? So, I mean, when I think about, you know, getting started in my actual career trajectory, I started right when online fundraising was becoming a thing, which in today's day and age seems absolutely crazy because it's the only thing, right? So it was getting started. It was this new shiny object that we had to try to sell to our teams who were so used to walking around with an envelope, collecting cash and check donations, filling buckets with coins and, you know, hoisting them up on the registration table and they showed up on walk day and we had to figure out what the heck we were going to do to count all that. Um, Thank God for Coinstar machines. And I don't even know if those still exist anymore. Um, although I'm not willing to find out because those those pieces of uh, the old days of fundraising are definitely fine by me to see go. I but remember I mean, when I was in college, yeah. we were 
writing letters and we were writing source codes on the bottom of the letter and it was carbon copy. So it would like go through in triplicate. And there's probably people listening that don't maybe even know what that is (laughs) and to where it would actually show up on multiple copies. So when they sent back their pledge form, their check, no credit card, sent back their check, you knew which student it would get attributed to. I mean, that's yeah. crazy, not right? that long ago. In the it's not that things. long ago. And I mean, you know, if you go all the way back to the beginning of my fundraising days, you know, with Girl Scouts, you were walking around door to door. I mean, this year I bought cookies from um, a friend's daughter and it was an online form. There was no ask involved. It was just, here's the link. But uh, I was yep. walking up and down the street with a wagon and I was knocking on doors trying to to sell those cookies. Um, <laughs> oh, so and then old. even, I know we do, we do. And even in college, I was thinking about it, the crazy part about it with the dance marathon, and even that has has grown and come into the digital age. But when I was in college, um, we used to go on canning weekends is what we called mm-hmm. them. And we literally would drive to someone's house, stay for a weekend and stand on a street corner with a can and try to get people's change as they came off of an off ramp, right? Or as they're driving and stopped at an intersection, totally not safe, but it was effective. I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, in fact, was raised, you know, from doing that. And we would also go pledge booking, Mm -hmm. which I am sure there are people listening who are thinking, what in the world is pledge booking? It was an actual book of almost, they look like tickets. Mm -hmm. And we would go to a neighborhood and we would just walk around and ring a doorbell and give our elevator pitch about what Thon was. And we would try to get donations right then and there. And people could give pledges. People could write checks. They could give cash. um, And then you tore off their little receipt for their donation and handed it to them. And you recorded on the part that was still stapled what, you know, the donation was. So when you went back to turn it in, you had the paper copy and you also had the money. So it was the early confirmation email, basically. It was in in true person-to-person form. Yeah, I remember testing email fundraising in my first job, and it was with college students, and we thought, well, they all have email addresses. But what we quickly realized, because it failed at first, it failed in the first iteration for, I would say, two reasons. One, they had email addresses and their friends had email addresses, but they did not necessarily have the email contact information for Aunt Susie and Aunt Donna and Grandma and Grandpa and Dad's boss and all the people we would always tell them to write physical letters to. They didn't have that communication. It was still kind of early adopters back in the early 2000s. And people were still so, I think, unsure about donating online, right? And so I remember we, we tried it. I was one of the first schools to test it that I was working on and it just flopped. And so it's amazing to think that now email is a very tried and true, but also it's the antiquated method of peer-to-peer fundraising now that we think about compared to social media. So how do you, when you think, look back on that, there's still some similarities that I see, right? Like the technology is different. The technology has changed, but Where do you see some of the similarities to the way that we used to be successful fundraisers? 
Yeah. I mean, that's such a great question because there are similarities. I think you have to dig a little bit, um, you know, because even thinking of when online fundraising first came, it was just another channel to collect money, right? It wasn't a passive form of collecting money. It was people still making an ask. And email still affords that opportunity. Even the text messaging and all of these new digital formats still allow you to make an ask in the truest format of peer-to-peer. It's a friend asking a friend or a friend asking a family member. Um, so I think it's that basic ask, that pe- that basic connection that's still there. It's just becoming a little bit more passive because you don't actually have to make the ask by picking up a phone or being in front of the person. You know, you could just kind of shoot them an email and say, hey, when you get around to it, can you just click this link and, you know, put your credit card information in and, and help me out? Um, but yeah, I mean, at its truest form, it's still an ask. It's still a personal relationship. You know, you're not reaching out to people necessarily that you don't know. You're reaching out to people you have some sort of connection with. Right. And I would imagine the people who are the most successful are still the ones that are proactive, not necessarily the ones that just passively put something out one time on social media and hope that a few friends will donate and they get a handful of donations. And those people are great and wonderful. But in terms of our most successful, they're the ones that really take it on and are doing the same kind of work as canning on a street corner, but it's, you know, a lot, it's a very different, uh, the, the effort is there, but it's different kind of effort. It is. And I also think that they're probably taking a similar approach to what we do on the nonprofit side is they're doing it multi-channel, right? So they're putting it out on Facebook. They're sending the email. They're sending the text message and hoping that one of those things sticks with each of their various donors. Um, so I, I think that the most successful successful ones are probably not just you're right, posting it once, but they're also not just posting it in one medium. Um, They're posting it in a a variety of places to really catch all of their their friends and family. I will, absolutely. And I will say canning is not completely dead. I did see a local (laughs) uh, dance marathon type event where the students were at a grocery store. They had their cans for change. And then they also had a Venmo and a Cash App QR code for people that did not have change. So that is canning in the modern era. Okay. Um, All right. Well, there you go. And I mean, let's face it, the Salvation Army was the one that started that. So, and they're still around, tried and true. So, Deanna, in your role, you are not necessarily directly coaching individual fundraisers, but you are coaching the professional fundraisers who then go out and coach our individual volunteer participants. So we've talked a lot about how Not only time has changed peer-to-peer, but really even the pandemic, right? So Mm -hmm. how that has changed not only our in-person events that stopped happening for a while, our relationships with donors where we literally could not visit them, um, and our staff who went from being very much out in the community and understanding that role to being behind a computer screen and wanting Mm -hmm. to do things over Zoom and be really reliant on email. So what I've noticed in talking to people is many of our staff and really even the team captains are having to relearn how to fundraise in 2023. So can you talk a little bit about how your team is approaching this at NKF to really help your staff learn 
how to fundraise again and how to then pass that on to their team captains and their walk fundraisers. Of course, I, it's it's been a learning curve, I think, for all of us, right? No, none of us had been through a pandemic. We didn't know the impact this was going to have. Last year was our first year back and in person at NKF. Um, and what we started to see and what we have learned is that you're right, the team captains specifically really kind of forgot what to do and and forgot what to do in terms of not just the fundraising, but also the fact that they had to get their teammates registered because they just didn't feel the need to do it in the pandemic era um, because there was nothing to show up to. So you couldn't use that excuse or say, oh, you know, we need to know how many numbers are coming so that we can have enough food for you. That really didn't work when you were doing everything virtually. So they figured, well, I'm not going to bother somebody and have them register. So, I mean, while the teams were who participated were relatively successful in the pandemic era, they probably could have been more successful had they, you know, kind of continued to follow those those basics that we know work um, and staff have been able to have kind of those team management goal setting conversations. So we at the NKF are really going back to basics. Um we were able to take a hard look at our walk program specifically during the pandemic, um, you know, really kind of cut back some some layers within the program and simplify it a bit. And this year, really, we're just going back to basics in terms of coaching staff and then how they should coach teams. And the conversations I'm having with our staff now are really coaching them in a way that hopefully they can take those conversations and just replicate them with their teams. So we're going in and we're breaking down their budgets. We're breaking down their team revenue. We're saying, all right, let's look at the data. Let's see what that tells us. And let's use that to set, you know, the threshold, the the place that our team goals need to be set if you're making 50% of your team goals, for example, in the previous year, well, then your goals need to be double what you need to make in team revenue this year, right? It's super simple. It's something I think, you know, we we all who have been doing this long enough, we're like, yeah, of course, that's what you have to do. But, you know, we lose sight. And especially in the pandemic where it was just get the money in however you can, um, because we all just were terrified of, of what was happening. Um, it is kind of shifting the mindset. And, and I'm sure many organizations had staff turnover for whatever reasons, you know, whether it be for reasons within their control or beyond their control. I think, you know, that also contributes to it because there's a whole new group of fundraisers who are coming in and some fundraisers who, Marcy, don't have our door-to-door Girl Scout sale experience because, you know, they've been used to to sending out links um, and posting stuff on Facebook. So I think understanding that back to basics, we know some of these things are tried and true, but realizing that we probably also have some colleagues who their base of their fundraising experience is very different than what ours looks like um, and having to coach through that and and meet everybody where they're at. Yeah. I mean, I think about this generation of people who are coming into this role of working on events and, you know, they're digital natives mm-hmm. and that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so I think as we think about back to basics, you know, it's the basics, but they can look a little bit different. You know, I know I remember um, coaching a staff person and, you know, we were always told to pick up the phone, try to meet them in person, you know, sending and that emails were kind of your backup. Right. 
And I was talking to a staff person and she just said, but I get such a better response when I text my team captains. And to me, that felt at first too informal, too casual, too personal. But she was making all the connections. She was reaching out. She was building that relationship, which is what we wanted her to do. She was just doing it in a different technology that was, you know, more modern, which sounds so silly to say. Um, So I think it's how do we take these basics? And if the basics are relationship building and coaching and training, and no, it's not necessarily come to a lunch and learn or, you know, it might be hop on a team captain kickoff Zoom where we get to meet people or it may not be coffee dates. It might be a group chat or something. I mean, there's different ways we can do it that still meet the same objective. I just recently joked with a staff member. I said, if you want to go grocery shopping with the team captain so you can walk and chat and let them get their grocery shopping done, oh go gosh. for it. Meet up at the grocery store. Like, <laughs> I think that they thought I was a little crazy, but you know what? If that's what it takes, I mean, I'd do it. Why not? I'd probably pick up a few things that I need too. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. But you're right. I mean, you're right. And I think that the basics, you know, so I'm thinking, I feel like basics almost fall into two categories, right? What the data can tell us and how we use the data to inform you know, planning on building up to our budget and some of the milestones that we require. Because when it comes to team management, and and these are the conversations I've been having, when it comes to team management, you know, the teams, they set their goals, but their fundraising, if you're only looking at it in real time, you're not really looking at where the potential is um, or where you think it's going to shake out. And that's going to be the biggest... It could either be the biggest area of confusion um, and frustration or, you know, using data to be able to set a milestone to be able to say, okay, my team goals need to be set here. So if I can have conversations with my teams, if I can get my team goals to add up to here, then I can feel a little more confident I'm going to hit that team you know, that team budget piece um, of my overall of my overall goal. So trying to use the data, and I think that has remained pretty true. We we are though on on evolving. Um I'm sure you probably remember we used to do a lot of stuff in Excel spreadsheets mm-hmm. um to record all of the teams and projections and all of that. We are we are moving into the 21st century um at NKF and we've created a Salesforce dashboard finally. Awesome. Uh, we recently just upgraded our Salesforce instance so we now have the ability to do some more cool things and created a dashboard. But the dashboard directly correlates to all of these other little milestones that the data are telling us so that we can, you know, have a conversation with staff. We can get them all of those milestones and things they need to, to look out for. And then they can go into a dashboard and see real time where they, where they fall. Yeah. Um, but also to your point about the texting, you know, I think it is important, right? Is not only do we have staff coming on who have a very different and unique perspective, but not bad. I mean, just we have to understand that that the relationship building looks a little different now for some people. There's going to be some people who want the phone call, right? There's going to be right. some people who want the coffee exactly. date. Um, and I think it's it's coaching towards just saying, let's have a conversation. Let's figure out how 
they want to interact and how they want, they're willing to respond to us and then harness that energy. Yeah, if someone wants to email you back and forth and that's where you're getting the most relationship building and the most interaction, go for it. Email them every day if you need to. That's great, you know? But um, we we have to make that initial first step. Otherwise, we're never going to know. Absolutely. And I think so many people get, they're intimidated by that first conversation, right? They are intimidated by asking somebody to set a fundraising goal or they're intimidated to offer up your help um, and say, here's some ideas, um, especially in this digital world, right? Again, we've we've relied on email as a crutch and we've relied on our, our welcome email series and all of our beautifully crafted coaching emails that the national office spends so much time writing that it's become harder and harder to have those really good in-person conversations. So how... How are you working with your team on overcoming that? Is it role playing? Is it tools and resources using the dashboard? You know, how do we link the data to the conversation? And like, what does this data tell you? And therefore, this is what you should be talking about in your conversations. Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm trying to have, again, trying to have, especially around teams, the conversations with the staff, um, really about the team goal and what that looks like. And then, you know, we're having conversations around the team type and, and yeah, there's a little bit of, God, the terrible word, the one that nobody wants to to hear role play, Um, but maybe not in the truest sense, right? I'm not, you know, sending them a message through Zoom and saying, okay, this is who you are. And then this is who (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) be. Although that would be fun. I do love a good, a good role play in the nonprofit space. Um, But I think that, you know, it is coaching them through like, hey, so what conversations have you had recently? Let's talk about how that went. Um, and then let's talk about maybe next time a couple of other things that we could bring up. I also think it's just that initial conversation, trying to get folks on the phone earlier, just doing outreach earlier um, so that the initial conversation doesn't have to be about goal setting, right? right? If you can have a conversation that's just a, hey, how you doing? You know, I just wanted to call and chat, introduce myself. I mean, especially new staff. I say, you guys have such an advantage. You pull the new card and you just call and say, you want to introduce yourself. And you're so excited that these people are going to, you know, you're going to work with them. And you've heard so many wonderful things. I said, that's, that is an advantage that those of us who have been in the industry for a long time don't have if people know us. Um, But yeah, you pull the new card, you have a conversation before you have to dive into the goal setting, which can make, I think, the goal setting conversation a little less intimidating because now you have an established rapport, right? Even if it was just one conversation, you at least have something established where you can reference it. Like, oh, I just wanted to check in. I know you had said last time, you know, you were, you were headed into the the doctor and how did all of your, you know, levels look, Um, you know? everything working well with your kidney function. You can touch base on those things and make it personal and kind of break down that that wall. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's it's coaching folks on those little pieces too, things that we're not 
necessarily thinking about. And probably for those of us that have been in here long, they're, they seem like old hat, right? And so we kind of have to dig into the, the archives a little bit and think about, okay, what made me successful when I first started out um, yeah. and share all of those pieces? You know, I'm always reminded of, I had an old boss the years. I mean, he'd be mad if I called him old and an early boss, a boss <laughs> early in my career who always used to say, you know, as fundraisers, professional fundraisers, we are simply the conduit through which people get to support the cause that they really love. We're just here to help them. We're here to help them do this. It's not them helping us, right? They're not helping us hit our goal. We're helping them hit their goals. And I feel like that can get lost in the data, right? It can get lost in the conversation of, or remembering these people, they didn't sign up because we asked them. They signed up because we they love this cause. They want to raise money. So us going in and saying, I know you probably want to raise as much money as you possibly can for the National Kidney Foundation or whatever this mission is. I'm just here to help you do that. Let's put a number on the wall and let's build a plan on how to get there. I think people, I think a lot of times people are scared to fundraise, right? They don't quite know what to do. And so reminding our staff that 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 is your role. Your role is simply to go alongside them and say, I know you're passionate about this cause and I'm just here to help you. I'm here to help you raise as much money as you can and want to raise. And it's just reframing it as, again, we're helping them, not them helping us. And I think that gets lost sometimes. It does. It's, you know, listening to you talk, I I literally just had that conversation yesterday with someone and I said, you are their cheerleader. You are their solution finder. You know, I said, they're, they're coming to us and they're going to come and say, you know, I have this goal in mind, or maybe their goal's too small and you help them to see their potential, but you also help them craft the plan to get back up there. You know, it's not just, because uh, I think some of the conversations around the teams and it, it translates well in terms of coaching our staff to then be able to coach their team captains is, you know, we've had some staff who have said, well, I was told I just have to raise X amount in team money, but I don't really understand how that's going to happen. You know, they, they haven't necessarily been through a walk. So we talk about how that's going to happen. We talk about that how. We talk about all those stepping stones. And then I'm able to say, and this is what you get to do with your team captains. It's not just about the goal setting. It's not just about getting that, that goal number with them. It's about showing them how they're going to reach that goal. And it's having those conversations to find out what's going to work for them. What are their goals? What do they want to accomplish with this? You know, it doesn't work for every team type, obviously. There's, there's certain ones, especially our friends and family teams who are so closely connected to all of the missions where it's not always appropriate to have that conversation depending on where they are in their journey. But, you know, for a lot of our dialysis centers, um, you know, for a lot of our corporate teams in the industry, those are completely appropriate conversations. And when you can get a team captain to latch on to that plan and not just that number, 
oh my gosh. I mean, the sky is the limit and it's amazing to watch them celebrate the successes and to know that you had just a very small part in helping them find that solution and that path. This is why I knew I wanted you to join the podcast because I know that we could talk about this for hours. Deanna, where can people learn more about what you're doing at the National Kidney Foundation and the Kidney Walk program if they are so inspired and want to jump on as one of your fundraisers? Well, we would love for everyone to learn more about what we're doing at the National Kidney Foundation. You can always go to kidney.org to learn more about the foundation as a whole or follow us on social media at National Kidney Foundation. Or you can check out kidneywalk.org to find a local walk in your area. And I also encourage everyone listening to just take a minute for your kidneys. Um, Minuteforyourkidneys.org is our risk quiz. And you can go there, answer a couple questions, and you'll find out if you are at risk for kidney disease and also next steps if you are on how to start having that conversation with your doctor. Thank you so much. That's such an important, I'm so glad you added that in there as well. Deanna, this has been so much fun. And like I said, I know we could talk for hours um, about this and I hope your all of the staff at the National Kidney Foundation realizes how lucky they are to have you as you're their cheerleader and their coach when it comes to peer-to-peer. Thank you, Marcy. The P2P Soapbox is produced in partnership with True Story FM, engineering by Pete Wright. Music this week is by Russo. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, we hope you'll consider doing just that for our show. But the best thing that you can do to support the P2P Soapbox is simply to share the show with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.